work through it again, which he has promised he will do, after this destruction is complete and people have repented and turned to him, he is going to use those who understand truth and respond to it once again to finish the work of God here in the end time before Christ returns. So this is a big day, and we nearly all can remember the coming apart at the seams of the called out of God here in this end time. So it's a continuing prophecy with several different applications. It has one more fulfillment beyond what we have seen spiritually happen, and that is that once the temple of God is rebuilt, uh, the abomination of desolation will be set up in it, uh, and that will begin the Great Tribulation. So the temple's got to be built, Jerusalem has to be built, and then the abomination will be set up. So there's quite a bit of time left before Christ returns, despite what the Protestants and Messianic Jews wish to tell us today. I covered that a bit last week in the sermon. Uh, I would remind us again to, I'm sure it's on our minds, but continue to pray uh, for Charlotte. Some of you out on the phone line may not know her, Charlotte Nichols having had that heart attack, and uh, she seems to be getting a little stronger, a little better day by day. Uh, so there is some improvement in her condition, but uh, it was fairly severe, and uh, she has a long, hard rehabilitation coming. And with her knees being the way they are, very, very weak and so on, uh, it's very hard for her to move around and to get exercise, which is a critical issue in terms of heart uh, problems. Uh, one of the reasons we have heart problems is we don't move around enough in the first place. And then once there is a heart event, it uh, is imperative. And they try to get people up out of the bed within two or three days, even after major heart surgery now, to get them moving around. So it's a very important part of the rehabilitation, and it's a very difficult thing for her to do. So... Keep that in mind uh, as well in your prayers for her. And I'll also mention Tom Davis. I talked with Linda for quite a while last night. And uh, he's still having uh, difficulties uh, with the heart problems he's had and now with the kidney failure. And he's only doing, as I said a couple, three weeks ago, his dialysis twice a week when they want him to do it three. But it's so hard on him that he... He just hasn't felt like he could do it. So the poisons do build up, and uh, he's, he's in a very critical situation. And, of course, Linda is very, very deeply concerned about it, and she has had some severe health problems herself with uh, various issues. So they're, they're in need as well. And as I look around this community, nearly everybody here, if not everybody, has one issue or another with health whether they're life-threatening or just bothersome and frustrating and painful and difficult. So we do need God's healing, and hopefully soon. And I think that that is, will be forthcoming before too long, based on what I see happening. Okay, let's get on with the sermon material. You'll recall last week I began to zero in on... Uh, the circumstances that are beginning to happen here uh, 
in the world situation, and it has only gotten worse over this past week uh, as stock markets and financial uh, institutions of all kinds are having severe difficulties, and now it's beginning to turn into a panic. So it appears that some of these things are beginning to come. I spent quite a little time talking about uh, the New World Religion and what it will be based upon, and we went to Romans 1, so I'll briefly review that. Uh, I didn't quite finish the chapter there, uh, ran out of time. But Paul had been instructed by Christ for three years in the desert, and he understood the prophecies for the end time. He also knew history about the things that went on before Noah's flood. He knew of Sodom and Gomorrah. He knew of people worshiping the world, the planet, uh, and themselves and the creatures of the creation instead of worshiping the Creator. So he put that before the Romans, who obviously were being uh, converted from religion of the earth to worshiping the true God, and he showed what was happening in the world around them, and that they probably had been part and parcel with, even as we have been, unwittingly as we grew up perhaps, but still part and parcel with it. But he says that they would become fools and worship the creation or the creature, the things that God has created. I did look the word up in the Greek, and it can mean not only animals here or creatures, but it can mean anything that God has created, which could be the universe, it could be the earth, it could be the plants and animals, it could be man himself that they worship. Uh, that word is inclusive of all those things. And I think that that's what Paul really meant, was that they would worship the things around rather than the God who made them. Now, which, which is better to give your adherence and your worship and your reverence to? He who was able to make or that which is made? That should be quite a simple question to answer, but the whole world has missed the point. And they are worshiping everything but God today. And he is being quickly, even the name of God in Christ is being quickly put out of our society, which was so-called so Christian in the past. But this worship of Mother Gaia and of science is taking hold. Now, what is science in our world today? It's something that people look up to. Science is going to answer our questions. It'll answer our problems. Science essentially is the study of that which we see around us. It fits right in with Romans 1. Modern science basically is anti-God. They try to find answers in the earth around us or in the heavens around us. They measure, they analyze and they come up with really strange things like we crawled out of the ocean as slime and finally developed. That's really odd and strange and weird. But if you leave God out of the picture, you have to come up 
with some explanation. So some real intelligent individual says, well, I think there was just a big explosion. And when the pieces all came down, this is what we had. The Big Bang Theory. Now, I've seen a lot of things blow up in my life. And the only thing I ever see, saw come down was waste and debris and rocks. Things of that nature. I never did see anything get made better by a blast. I've set off dynamite. I've had to run from rocks that I was thought I was far away enough from that they wouldn't hit me. And here they were coming down around me. You know what they were? They were smaller rocks than they had been a second before. They hadn't come together and formed something valuable. So they have gone into lunacy with some of these things, which you and I understand, but the whole world is bought into it. And modern science is anti-God. They are taking us into transhumanism and to robotics and to all kinds of things. They're changing our DNA. They're changing the DNA through GMOs of things we eat. They're perverting and polluting and ruining everything that God put on this earth that would keep man healthy, wealthy, and wise. It is being destroyed before our very eyes by modern science. And yet science is very, very much involved with the new religion that is going to be appearing on the scene very soon. This whole earth thing and global warming and uh, PETA, and you just name it. The United Nations is all based on science and worldliness and worshiping that which is around us instead of God. So Romans 1 is coming true before our very eyes. And sexual perversion is a very, very big part of it. In fact, Paul spends more time on that in Romans 1 than anything else. I think I mentioned that the Catholic Church is not the great whore of Revelation 18 or the other chapters of Revelation, but that is Israel, and more particularly the United States, as the leader of Israel. That does not mean that the Catholic Church may not be very involved and be an integral part, and perhaps even the leaders of, this new world religion that is fast going to uh, evolve before our very eyes. The groundwork's already been laid by the United Nations, by the Catholic Church, and by the Pope's message he's going to deliver in the United States next month. So, the stage is set. He talks here about homosexuality, and I don't think I read all of this. Verse 26, because they exchanged the truth of God for the lie, for Satan's things, God gave them up to vile affections, verse 26, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature or lesbianism. The men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly or ungodly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was due. Whether it be AIDS, whether it be a breakdown of society, and so on and so forth. Now who has been one of the leading proponents, perhaps behind the scenes most of the time, 
for perversion and misuse of sex in the Catholic Church. So-called celibacy. But there's not been much celibacy in the Catholic Church. There's been a lot of activity between priests, between priests and nuns, and between priests and altar boys and children, pedophilia, if you will. They've uncovered mass graves of babies around uh, nunneries. Convents is the word I was looking for. It's been there all along. The Catholic Church does nothing to stop it. If a particular priest in a particular city or diocese is discovered doing some of these things, and there's enough public outcry, they transfer him somewhere else to continue what he's been doing there. So they have tacitly agreed with it, overlooked it, and basically have all done it. So here is a major so-called Christian religion, which the Protestants came out of, which has been promoting from within sexual perversion for thousands of years now. Is it any surprise that they are coming out with that background and fitting Romans 1 exactly? Through the perversions that way and the worship of Mother Earth, Gaia, instead of God. So I think they're going to be a very big part of it, just not the part that the Protestant world or even the church used to think they would play. It's a different function. Now, considering Revelation 13 in this light, let's go back there for a moment. Revelation 13. He talks about this beast rising out from among the people, the sea, with the heads and horns and so on, and how it's wounded uh, and about died, but came back to power. And we'll see how that works out. And rules in for 42 months in verse 5, times of the Gentiles, as is described in uh, Revelation 11. And this beast, in verse 6, opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. So this coming beast and false prophet, as we'll see here in a moment, are going to be denouncing God taking God out of everything, and do we not see that movement in our nation today, taking Christ's name, God's name, out of everything, everywhere, as fast as they possibly can. It was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So it is satanic power, but it is going to be given to this beast that is rising from among the people here on this earth. It will be anti-God, anti-true God. They will substitute a false God, which ultimately is Satan. But there will be a human uh, fulfillment of it as well, of someone that they can see to worship. That has always been the case. Uh, Satan has provided people who are perverted and vile for his purposes, even as God has trained and provided people to do his work on the earth as well, up to the point when Christ returns. 
But they are going to have power over the saints and overcome them. You can tie Daniel 11 in with that and show that many of understanding will fall. So, other scriptures put together show that about 90% of the church is going to go into the tribulation and primarily be martyred. Only a 10% remnant is going to flee and be saved from it. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So every one, the whole population of the earth, except those who understand the truth of God, will be deceived. Doesn't it say, Satan deceives the whole world in Revelation 12, 9? If any man have an ear to hear, let him hear. Uh, Verse 11, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a snake. So, two horns, this other beast that comes up, and we've been talking about the economic and military beast so far, Uh, and this other one comes up, and he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. There's going to be some kind of war or conflagration or some happening that is going to wound this power that is arising, and it will look like it is going to die or die out, but it will come back strong. And a religious leader will join it as two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth, and them which dwell therein, to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he does great wonders, so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Tremendous miracles by this false prophet and religious organization, whatever the ultimate form is. As I said last week, it has to be something that will appeal to all the different peoples and religions and races of the earth. And Mother Gaia, or the earth, would be the place you would start. That is what people look to. But is it going to come in such a way, with great power and miracles, that the Islamics will think it's the Mahdi, The Christians will think it's Christ. Whatever form it takes, will it be by hologram? Will it be by scientific marvels? In such a way that it seems to fulfill the prophecies of all the various peoples who are expecting something. I suspect that that will have to be the case. Because the whole world is going to bow down and worship before this, except those who understand the truth. And then they will put a mark on them so that they can't buy or sell without having this mark of the beast. You will see in chapter 19 that this is these two beasts compositely make up what God calls the beast and the false prophet. Uh, Verse 19, this is when Christ comes back to rule and to take over the earth in this chapter. But in verse 19 it says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, 
And their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. That would be Christ, the angels, Christ on the white horse with his vesture dipped in blood as we saw earlier, or, or is mentioned earlier. We didn't go there. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that worked the miracles before him. So that shows that it is a religious figure that does those miracles we just read about in chapter 13. So the one that worked miracles with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeds out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So that is the ultimate end of the beast and false prophet that are arising today. Now there's some scary times coming. There's some scary times already here. There are people around the world this week that were in a panic. And they're in a panic today and will be tomorrow, waiting to see what will happen in the Asian markets come Monday. In fact, they'll be looking very closely tomorrow evening at the early reports from Asia about what has happened in the stock markets there because it starts there when the new day begins, or Monday begins, and comes around the world, and their markets are already closed when ours open. But there are people that are really scared right now. They've lost hundreds of billions of dollars in the last ten days in terms of wealth that was on the books. Are we seeing the beginning of the great crash that the Bible speaks of? Now, we've had other dips, other recessions, other failings in the stock market over the last decades. But this has been building and building, and now the world is in deeper debt than it has ever been. This country is in deeper debt than any nation on earth, and it may very well be that 90 days from now, money will be utterly worthless could very easily be that, because the fiat dollars, the money that has been manufactured digitally and through paper, people will lose confidence in. And they're seeing that wealth destroyed before their eyes even these last ten days. I think it is going to get worse. I think that a lot of signs are pointing to this being the big one, finally. You know, you have little strokes and little strokes sometimes, and then you have the big one or you have little heart murmurs and troubles and pain, and then you have the big one. Uh, this may be the big one that's starting. I think everything that I read seems to indicate that is the case. So if within 90 days or 180 days or whatever it takes, things have changed so much, what are you going to do? What is a Christian to do? We're seeing an implosion of the world before our very eyes. And out of this chaos that is being generated, the beast will arise. 
and the false prophet with it. And they will say that they have the answer to all the world's problems. They can solve them all, and all you have to do is take this mark, and you'll be able to buy and sell, because you can't now. The money's worthless. You can't use it. They throw it in the street. But with this, we'll solve the problem. And the whole world will say, give me that. Even people who have read about the mark of the beast all these years as so-called Christians will also take it, even though they have preached and taught and talked against it, because it will mean the ability to eat, and without it, they cannot eat. Yes, sir, I want to eat. It isn't a long way off. We're starting that slide. It appears from every direction. Now, what do you do when you see this arising? Watch, because it is arising. You may see some elements of it becoming clearer in the next 60 days. As speeches are made, proclamations are made, New agendas put out by the United Nations, this 2030 one that's coming up next month, which will make Agenda 21 look like nothing. And Agenda 21 was designed to get all people out of the country and into the cities where they can be controlled, among other things, and let Mother Earth be free of people. That is their agenda. Just have them in... A few cities, and that's the only place people can be. They're making more and more wildernesses in this nation as we speak. Places you can't go with motorized vehicles, and ultimately they plan to make them off-limits to any kind of human incursion. That's Agenda 21. 2030 will be even more restrictive. And it's coming up very shortly now. So what do we do? There's another element that I think we are going to see occur very, very soon. Uh, to add to this, and we'll get to that here in a moment, but let's go to Revelation 18, verse 1. Here it talks in the end of 17 about how this beast will hate the whore, the United States, and will destroy her. In other words, what we are going to see as a beginning of the world war that will envelop the earth is the destruction of the United States first. That's their plan. They have read the history books, they have watched what's happened in the past, they have seen World War I and World War II, and they know that the United States has to be destroyed. Not only that, we have been hammering on and destroying nations around the earth for quite some time now, and they hate us with a passion. So we have to go. They hate us. We've been in control, been riding the beast that is arising, been in charge. Now we're going to be taken down, utterly destroyed. One-third of us will die of famine and pestilence, one-third will be killed by the sword, and one-third will be taken into abject slavery. 
10% will survive until the millennium, or a little less than 10%, Ezekiel 5. So after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird or demon. They're going to reactivate the CERN collider next month. And they say that it is a portal to allow extraterrestrials, demonic beings, free access to the earth. Now, I think they've got fairly free access and have had ever since Satan was in the garden with Adam and Eve. But a lot of these things are coming together and they may be opening themselves up for more demon uh, influence. Maybe what they're doing whether CERN has anything to do with it or not. The so-called elites, the powers that be behind the scenes, many of them are outright Satan worshippers. And the major politicians in the United States use the satanic signs when they speak. Presidents and congresspeople and all of those have used satanic signs. So, this nation, which represents and is the leader of the satanic Babylonian governments of the world is going to fall. The beast and false prophet will arise, and once they are in full power, they will reign for 42 months, and they will fall. So Babylon will fall twice. The U.S. is the leader, and then the beast is the leader. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. That would be us. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be no partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. Now we have all been a part of the Babylon around us, and to one degree or another we were all involved in her sins, until we began to be spiritually converted and repent of some of those sins. But her plagues are going to be coming now very soon. We were to come spiritually out, but I think I'm going to show you today that we are also to come physically away from the centers of destruction that are about to occur. Not to be there, so that you're not either part of the sin nor part of the plagues that come. And this is speaking of the United States of America. I don't have time to go through and prove that all over again today, but it's in the tapes. Come out of her, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double to her, to her double according to her works, in the cup which she has filled to her, double it. She's lived deliciously. And then it talks about how the economy will be destroyed, and the merchants are going to be crying and sighing and weeping and wailing because they can't get rich from her anymore. That isn't the Catholic Church. We are the nation that has made the world rich by sending goods to them and by buying their goods, the, the traders, the merchants. And it is going to be very, very quickly 
Verse 8, Therefore her plague shall come in one day, death and mourning and famine. Verse 17 says, In one hour so great riches is come to nothing. Not 60 minutes and not 24 hours, but a very, very short period of time. It is going to come quickly once it comes. Scripture says that they will come upon us and we won't even expect it, won't know it. And they'll speak languages that we don't understand or know. So, some are expecting trouble. Some are expecting world war. You can read it on the internet. Some are seeing some of these things. They don't get the full picture, obviously. And they don't know what to do about it. But some see it. But the vast majority of our people are blissfully unaware of what is about to come down on us. And if they're in the financial markets, they're beginning to panic right now. Because this looks ominous. Is it the beginning of this fall where the merchants are going to be weeping and wailing because we aren't there anymore as a market? Or they can't trade our goods? We may be. This isn't prophecy anymore. This is a matter of degrees at this point. Some of it's already there, but it's going to get worse. Notice, let's go from there very quickly to, uh, to Zephaniah 1, because it's talking about here, this Babylon. Well, could it possibly be Israel? Could it be the United States? Let's see another account of this same thing that is in the prophecies in the book of Zephaniah. Chapter 1. We've read it before. In fact, my Bible's almost worn out in this section. But if you go down, it's talking, and this is addressed to Judah. It's addressed to Israel. Verse 10, It shall come to pass in that day, says the Eternal, that there shall be the noise of a cry from the fish gate, and a howling from the second, and a crashing from the hills. So a great crash is going to occur. What kind of crash? Howl, you inhabitants of Maktash. That was a market district of ancient Jerusalem. All the merchant people are cut down. All they that bear silver are cut off. So this great crash is a financial crash. And it is centered upon whom this book is addressed. Israelite people. So if you combine the crash of Revelation 18, which does not mention Israel per se, but describes us as we are, especially when compared to Jeremiah 50 and 51, and then you see this great crash here, which is centered in Israel. And even Jerusalem is mentioned at the center of it. Now, that was in the world that then existed. We know that since then, Jerusalem has become desolate, the true one, and doesn't even exist. But what the prophecy is saying is that this has to do with the heart and central of Israel and of Judah. And we are the leading nation of those. And we are the ones who have been the hammer of the whole earth. It hasn't been Israel in the Middle East or anybody but us. So that crash is going to occur in this nation. 
Uh, verse 13, their goods shall become a booty, their houses a desolation. Isaiah 5 says our houses will be taken away from us. We'll build all these McMansions and then won't live in them, it says. Well, it says here, they'll build houses and not inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards but not drink the wine thereof. What's happening to the vineyards in California that we drink the wine of? They're drying up. They're dying. The great day of the eternal is near. It is near and haste greatly, even the voice of the day of the eternal. So this is an end time prophecy. It's not ancient history. It's for the end of the age. And it's near. A day of wrath, trouble, distress, waste, desolation, darkness and gloominess. Verse 18, Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the eternal's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. He'll make a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. So, this is upon us. The return of Christ is only a few years away. It's not this fall by any means, as I said last week. But, it's coming soon. There are many events that have to occur first. Now, as we see things deteriorating now, day by day, before our very eyes, let's consider another very distinct possibility in Jeremiah 51. I'll pick it up here in verse 45. 50 and 51 are about the destruction of Babylon in the same vein as uh, Revelation 18. Let's see, verse 44, And I will punish Baal in Babylon, and I will bring forth out of his mouth that which he has swallowed up, and the nations shall not flow together any more to him. Now that's what we read in Revelation 18. The nations have been coming with their trading ships and everything, and they've been paying abeyance to what nation? This nation, over all these years. But that will stop. The wall of Babylon shall fall. Now, what about God's people? What are they to do? My people, go you out of the midst of her. Deliver you, every man, his soul from the fierce anger of the eternal. So, when Revelation 18 says to come out of, come out of her, he's saying, I'm going to destroy her, and you should not be in the middle of that, or you will be destroyed along with them. Come out of her. How were Lot and his family to react? Were they just to get on their knees and pray to God and not sin with Sodom and Gomorrah? No, they were to get clear out of there. Leave it. It was going to be destroyed. Get out of the middle of her. It doesn't say to get clear out of her. It says get out of the middle of her. There are people who have overlooked Micah 4. Uh, some of my own family moved to Chile. They moved to... Uh, Belize, someone else moved to Costa Rica, thinking they were getting out of Babylon. Well, Babylon really encompasses the whole earth because Satan's deceived the whole world. Do you think going from Israel to a Gentile country is going to make you safer as an American? Now, come on, let's be realistic here. We are hated as a people. And if we go somewhere else and are made... Fair game, 
Do you not think those people are going to be just as dangerous as the ones who invade this country? You're not going to be protected going to a different country thinking you'll find peace and safety there. You are, as a people, taller than most of the people in the nations people are going to. Your coloration is whiter than most. Your language is different. And you will stick out like a sore thumb there. And if you're trying to obey God on top of it, and Mother Gaia is the new God, and you're still trying to worship the true God, you're going to have extreme adversity and face death. There is no place on this planet you can go that will protect you. He even says they'll go into the caves and the rocks and try to hide from he who is coming. Now let's translate that a little bit. They're building bunkers. They're building places to get underground and hide with food and water while the rest of us die. You can't hide from God. He says if you go to the deepest place in the ocean, submarine, if you go up into the heavens, think you'll find safety on the moon, ain't going to happen. There is no place in the depths of the earth or the depths of the seas or anywhere you can escape from what is coming, except through obedience to God. So what's a Christian to do? Well, we're starting to get some instruction. He says, get out of the middle of her in Revelation 18. He says, get out of the midst of her here in Jeremiah 51. Now, we'll get to more of that in a moment. But let's go on and see an event that is about to occur in this nation as well, very shortly now, because it appears the financial destruction and crash is beginning to occur. Whether that will take two weeks or two months or six months remains to be seen. A very short period of time is what the prophecy indicates. And lest your heart faint, verse 46, and you fear for the rumor that shall be heard in the land... Remember Isaiah 8, where it says that there is a great conspiracy, a confederacy, a coalition, whatever word you want to use, of nations that are going to come against this nation and destroy it. Uh, Psalm 83 names a lot of them. And there are various peoples from various races of the earth who will amalgamate and come against us. And God tells us there in Isaiah 8 not to fear them fear him. That is where our fear should be. So we're not to fear this thing that's coming. And yet it is ominous and it's scary to a human being. But he said, don't fear it, fear me. I'm the only one that can save you. I'm the only one that can take care of you when this comes. But he says there will be rumors that will generate a certain amount of fear. A rumor shall both come one year, and after that... And another shall come a rumor and violence in the land, ruler against ruler. So this is not an attack from the outside. This is turmoil and war within. Our rulers against our rulers. Civil war. And it is bearing down upon us very rapidly. Now... It has long been known 
that within organizations, be they nations, be they churches, be they schools, fraternities, families, within a group, if there is dissension and negativity and difficulty that is induced within that organization, it blows it apart. That has been proven over and over. However, if there is a threat from within, from without, it draws those organizations, those peoples who are associated in whatever organization it might be, it causes them to draw together and to draw close. You've probably known families that fought with each other. The kids were just knocked down, drag outs, fighting and bickering all the time among themselves driving the family apart, but if there was an outside threat, they would come together. Now, we have seen the church of God with dissension and negativity and backbiting throughout be splintered and fall apart. Now, we are going to instead begin to see danger from without. And that will help draw us back together again. Because the threat from without will be worse than the threat from within. So these are natural occurring conditions in any organization of any kind that has ever been on the earth from the family on up or on down. The family being the most important. And one of the ploys of enemies of business of governments, of nations, is to what? Divide and conquer. And that's what Satan has been doing with the church. He's been dividing and conquering, dividing and conquering, putting people against each other. In any way he can, he's been doing that in the church of God. And it has splintered and splintered and splintered and gotten smaller and smaller. We've experienced some of it here. Now, when the threat comes from the outside... Hopefully we'll have the right reactions and begin to draw close and work together instead of against one another. But that's the way Satan works. That's the way the world has worked. That's the way families have worked. That's human nature. But we are going to see civil war. We have races being pitted one against the other in this nation right now. Racism is getting worse instead of better. We see white cops killing black people left and right. It is increasing rapidly. It just seems like St. Louis is a center of it. Uh, Every few weeks you hear of another happening. And it's happening all over the country. And in fact, cops are beginning to shoot nearly anybody, not just black young men. They're shooting whoever gives them a hassle. Oh, I'll just shoot you. So then we have people saying, don't shoot, don't shoot, holding up their hands and wearing placards as they protest. It's getting more and more common. That is causing dissension within. It is turning people against government. It's turning people against each other. It's turning races against other races. We are on the verge of a civil war. We now have even political figures who are not following the normal line like Donald Trump, and he's getting in the face of all politicians. 
That isn't going over very well with those politicians. They've had it their way for a long, long time. They don't like it. So what is it doing? It's pitting ruler against ruler. It's causing dissension among the politicians. So this kind of thing that Jeremiah is talking about is very much alive in our country today, and we're headed for civil war. We know that the invasion of the country, from what we read here in Jeremiah, is accompanied or follows very shortly after the financial crash. So what we have coming, and we're starting to see now, is a financial crisis. We will see war break out among our people between the rulers of the land, and some people will go with this ruler and some people will side with that ruler. So it's not just going to be ruler against ruler, it'll be people with this ruler against the people of that ruler. <coughs> this organization and that organization. Violence in the land. So financial crash, civil war, followed by, let's read on, verse 47, Therefore, behold, the days come that I will do judgment upon the graven images, the false gods of our land, and her whole land shall be confounded, confused, upside down, chaotic. And all her slain shall fall in the midst of her. So total chaos in our country with people dying in the middle of it. Then, once that has occurred, then the heavens and the earth and all that is therein shall sing for Babylon, for the spoiler shall come unto her from the north, says the Eternal. So the whole world is going to say, we're seeing... America in chaos and confusion. They're killing each other. Hip, hip, hooray. So they're going to sing songs and rejoice over America finally getting hurt. And then the northern army is going to come in and finish the job. That is what is just ahead of us. We will be betrayed by our rulers from within as well. Chapter 50, verse 15. Shout against her round about. She shall give her hand. Her foundations are fallen. Her walls are thrown down. For it is the vengeance... <coughs> excuse me. The vengeance of the eternal taking vengeance on her. When she gives her hand, that means... She makes a deal. That's treason to see our nation destroyed. Some of our own rulers are betraying us. They're inviting the Russians, the Chinese in ahead of time. They're allowing and promoting war games between the nations who are about to destroy us, the northern armies, the Russians, and all their allies. We're playing patty cake and footsie with those who are going to destroy us giving our hand. We will allow them to use our own weapons against us. We are being betrayed. There is treason among the rulers of the land. And they are going to fight each other. Some will agree that America ought to be sold out and destroyed. 
Others will say, no, I'm going to fight for the Constitution. So you have all these military brass, the generals, over nearly 300 of them now, having been fired. Some of them will probably rise up against those who are trying to sell us out because they know what's going on. That's going to create a civil war. And Americans will kill Americans again just like they did in the original civil war. Preparing us, weakening us for the final destruction of the northern armies to come. And they're already here. We've been sold out. There are foreign troops all over this country this very day as we sit here. It's been too much to prove that. And some of them we even invite here. I mean, they don't even hide it. They invite them here to do military drills with our military. So it's not something that's a conspiracy theory. The government admits it. They talk about it, how we do war games with these enemies that the Bible says will destroy us. All right. I want to pick out a few things here, just in these two chapters, Jeremiah 50 and 51. I don't know whether I'll get through what I had to say today or not. Let's see if we can. Jeremiah 50, beginning in uh, verse... Well, in the last verse of chapter 49, it shall come to pass in the latter days. So, these prophecies here are of the latter days. They're for right now. Okay? The word that the Eternal spoke against Babylon and against the land of Chaldea by Jeremiah the prophet. It talks about how it's going to be taken, destroyed in verse 2. Verse 3, for out of the north there comes up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate. The northern army is the same as the Assyrian. We see in Isaiah 8, 9, and 10 and various other places. And her allies, a coalition against America. And those prophecies are about Israel, Judah, all the tribes of Israel. Those prophecies that I just referred to. So they are in the light of Revelation 18, which people think is the Catholic Church, which is ridiculous doesn't describe the Catholic Church at all. The, the false prophet may, but not the whore. That's us. That's Israel, in God's own words. So they'll make her desolate. Verse 4, In those days and in that time, says the Eternal, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together going and weeping, they shall go and seek the Eternal their God. Well, who's going to seek God? Those who know God. It's true. Spiritual Jews, Israelites. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces pointed there, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the eternal and a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. My people have been like lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They've gone to mountains, from there to hills. In other words, they've gotten smaller and smaller. Uh, mountains and hills are governments in prophecy. So the groups have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. They were big and now they're small. They that found them have devoured them. And their adversary says, we offend not because they've sinned and they're laid of sins anyway. So what difference does it make? Verse 8, remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he-goats before the flocks. Somebody's got to lead. When you have sheep, they often don't know what to do, but if there's a goat among them, the goat will lead them somewhere, and they'll follow. That's just the way it is. I've 
Got both. I know how it works. I will raise against Babylon a, an assembly of great nations from the north. All right, let's move on to verse 17. <clears throat> Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First the king of Assyria has devoured him. And last, this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has broken his bones. So we're seeing destruction here in our land. But it is Israel that is destroyed. That's the point I want to make in this particular verse. It's not the Catholic Church. It's Israel that they are coming against. And it's Israelites who will flee to Zion and try to find their way there. Verse 28, <clears throat> The voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the eternal our God, the vengeance of his temple. So the ones that get away from this destruction are the ones who will go to Zion and there they will declare God. Uh, let's see, verse 37. A sword is upon their horses and upon their chariots and upon all the mingled people that are in the midst of her. What are we today? We're known as a melting pot of different nations. Mingled people here. And they shall become as women. A sword is upon her treasures and they shall be robbed. A drought is upon her waters. Read the news lately? And they shall be dried up. For it is the land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. The wild beasts of the desert will begin to magnify and come against. I read an article just this morning about how they're seeing more bear and lion sightings in these drought-stricken areas. They have nothing to eat. They're going to start eating people. Leviticus and Deuteronomy talk about that, how they'll come in and kill and eat people. But it's starting to happen in these drought-ridden areas with all the fires and lack of food. <clears throat> uh, verse 41. Behold, a people shall come from the north, and a great nation, and many kings shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth. So, a tremendous coalition against America is being formed and planned. Chapter 51, verse 6. Flee out of the midst of Babylon, and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity. I think, uh, let's see. There's several warnings like that all the way through here. Verse 10. The Eternal has brought forth our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Many, many references in these prophecies to fleeing to Zion for those who understand God who know God and are willing to do His work and declare Him to the nations. Isn't that the job of the two witnesses and those that are with them? To declare it to the nations, to the whole world? It will happen from Zion. That will be the central location. Did you notice that back there in Revelation it talked about a beast and a false prophet? <clears throat> Satan is going to send two witnesses. Beast and the false prophet of who he is. God is going to send two of his prophets as a witness of who he is. It'll be two against two. And it will appear at the end of this whole thing that Satan and his beast and false prophet have won because they will kill God's two in the streets of Jerusalem. And then they will party thinking they've won. And three and a half days later, they're going to 
be scared spitless when they are resurrected and rise to be Christ in the air. Uh, let's see. Verses 44 and 45 in chapter 51. I will punish Baal and Babylon. We already actually read this. My people go out of the midst of her and deliver you every man his soul from the fierce anger of the eternal. So many, many warnings to get out of this just prior to and as it begins to happen here at the end time. The threat is before us. We're already under martial law. Do you realize that? It isn't as widespread, but they're having blockades here and there already. And used to, you could talk to an officer, talk back to him, and maybe get away with it. It's getting where that's really, really dangerous now. It's do what I say or I'll shoot you. That's the way it's getting to be across this country. That's what martial law is. Do what I say or die. So we're seeing it encroaching upon us little by little. And it's going to increase suddenly and rapidly. Now... Let's go to Zephaniah 2. We're familiar with these scriptures, but I want to do a quick review, and I'd like to get through uh, quite a few of them here, and I think I can. Zephaniah 2, chapter 1, we already went through, which shows a great crashing in the land, financial crash, silver and gold, throw their money in the street kind of thing. Chapter 2 then says, Gather yourselves together, gather together, O not desirable people, before this decree of destruction bring forth before the day passes the chaff before the fierce anger of the eternal come upon you before the day of the Lord's anger seek uh, uh, comes on you seek you the eternal all you meek of the earth which have worked his judgment seek righteousness seek meekness it may be you shall be hid in the day of the eternal's anger So we are to gather ourselves together before this happens, and if we have the right attitude, maybe we will be preserved from what is about to happen. Already said in Jeremiah 50 and 51 that we're to go to Zion. That's the place. So when you gather yourselves together, as verse 1 says, that's where you go, is the area of Zion, if you know where that is. They'll ask the way to Zion, it says in Jeremiah 50, verse 3, I think it is, we just read. They don't know. Well, the world knows where Zion, Jerusalem, and the Middle East is. They don't know where the true Zion is. Only a very few people know that today. But they'll learn, because God is going to do some miracles that will show them where it is. Uh, Micah 4. This is the one that my family, some of them overlooked. And many who say, get out of Babylon, do not recognize uh, if I can find Malachi, I'm standing here talking instead of looking. Uh, Micah. Not Malachi, Micah, chapter 4. Now here he's been talking about the trouble within the church and our king dead, Herbert Armstrong. And he tells us uh, in verse 10, Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. Put yourself through pain. Overcome, grow, change. Be different than what you are. For now shall you go forth out of the city, and you shall dwell in the wilderness, and you shall go even to Babylon. There shall you be delivered. 
There the Eternal shall redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now we read in Jeremiah 50 and 51 to get out of the midst of Babylon, out of the middle of it. But here he says, go to the wilderness, but go to Babylon. So you are still in Babylon. You're not in the middle of it. You're out in a wilderness away from it. So Zion, therefore, has to be in a wilderness area because you're instructed to go to Zion and you're instructed to go to the wilderness. Very clear here. You can't get clear out of it. Well, where is the church? Most of it is in the United States and Canada, but mostly the United States. We're in the midst of Babylon, in the cities of this nation. And God tells His people to come out of her and to flee to Zion and to go to the wilderness even in Babylon. Does anyone think that Jerusalem in the Middle East and the Zion outside the gate there, the, the cemetery that they call Zion, do they consider that Babylon? No. No, they don't consider that Babylon. But when you read the definitions of Babylon, it's this country, and this is where the church is. And we're to get out of the middle of it and go out in the wilderness to Zion within it. What's a Christian to do? If you hear this and you don't know where these places are, you better start doing your homework and look into it and find out what this is talking about. Because it's the only place of safety there's going to be on this whole earth is the environs of Zion where God will protect His people. That's where they say to go. There's not one verse in the whole Bible that tells you to go to Petra. Anybody know one? I haven't found one. It's not in there. I've been through the whole book, believe me. Isaiah 48. Again, it's talking about the destruction of Babylon. God's people are in the middle of Babylon. And we'll see that here in Isaiah 58. Or 48, excuse me. Flip back here. Uh, here he's talking about the destruction of Babylon, and he's talking about Israel in it. Notice how it starts this chapter 48. Hear you this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Eternal, but not in righteousness or in truth. They call themselves the holy city, but this is uh, talking about Israelites, Jacobites. Okay? And what does he tell them to do? Verse 26. Go you forth of Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans, with a voice of singing declare you this. Utter it to the end of the earth. Say, the Eternal has redeemed his servant Jacob. So here's a tie-in that shows, when he's addressing Jacob, the tribes of Israel, that they are to come out of Babylon, because that's where they are, this modern Babylon. Haggai tells us that if we are part of the faithful of God, the remnant, that we are to gather and build the temple. Zechariah 2, which started in the middle of Haggai's message, Tells us, let's go back there real quickly, Zechariah 2.
Verse 7, Deliver yourself, O people of Zion, that dwell with the daughter of Babylon. The glory touches the apple of his eye. Verse 10, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of you, says the Eternal. So he shows here that in the time of the two witnesses and the gathering of the remnant of the church, that they are to flee from Babylon and go to Zion. How plain is it? Isaiah 52. We're almost at the end of this. Isaiah 52. There are other places I could go, but I, I wrote down so many. Here he's been telling Israel, the church, to wake up. says it three times. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. Speaking of the church. Revel I mean, uh, Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. Make that connection. So Isaiah 52 talks about how the Assyrian is oppressed and they've been in among the Mitzriamites in verse 4 uh, and how those that rule over us are making us to howl in verse 5. And then it talks about those who bring the truth, verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, that brings good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up the voice. With the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Eternal shall turn around or bring back Zion, the church. Well, the two witnesses are going to come together just as God does miracles to show where He is going to be working. You can read about that in Zechariah 3, where it says before Joshua... God will place a stone, which is Christ, and the eyes of all seven of the churches will be on that stone, on Christ, because He's going to do signs and wonders there, and that is going to be the time when He turns it around from His face from us and turns it to us. And when He turns it to us with those miracles and signs and wonders, then the two witnesses will come together and the faithful of the church will be stirred to come and they will do the work of God, building the temple and building Jerusalem, and then warning the world. Verse 10, The Eternal is made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart you, depart you, get you out from there, touch no unclean thing, go you out of the midst of her, be you clean that bear the vessels of the Eternal. You will not go out by haste, nor by flight, God will be before you and protect you. So this first gathering of the faithful is not going to be under a great panic. There will be time for it to happen. Uh, the one that will be panic time is Matthew 24, when the abomination is set up and you flee from Jerusalem to the mountains of Judea and Zion. That will be the panic one, where you'd better not be pregnant, and you'd better not be nursing a child, and you'd better have deer legs instead of being old and crippled. God is going to take care of us and make that possible. He says so in all these prophecies. Now, the correlation of Isaiah 52, 53, and 54 is to me very interesting. 
because it talks about the, the remnant coming together. Then chapter 53 is all about Christ and what he went through at the Passover time. Chapter 54 shows the gathering of the people and the blessing of God returning to them. So I think that the time element that this is all going to happen is going to culminate around Passover time. And that the people will begin to gather after the Passover. Because God is going to do some things that will turn their eyes to where He is working. Israel was delivered at Passover time from Mitzrayim. Uh, we were delivered from our sin at Passover time through Christ. And it appears from these three chapters put together that there's going to be a financial crash and civil war. Then we're going to be attacked. And we may go through a certain amount of this. Read Isaiah 10. It says that the Assyrian will uh, try to enslave us in the manner of Mitzrayim for a very little while, and that will be stopped. You read on in Micah 4 and 5 there, and it shows that God's people will go out against the Assyrian, as in the days of Midian with uh, uh, Gideon, and the Assyrian army will be destroyed before God's people. So, God has it all set up to work, but the timing is going to be critical. And as we see this thing coming down on us, we're going to eventually see miracles somewhere, and God's people will begin to gather to do His work, even as the beast and false prophet and Satan gather their people to do their work. These things will be happening simultaneously. Now, I didn't say it was this Passover. I said around Passover time is what I said. Now, it may be this year if things continue the way they're looking at the moment. They may escalate, and yes, indeed, we may be in these times if what we are seeing in the news this very day are leading up to what all these prophecies are saying. It appears that that's the case. We'll find out shortly, won't we, whether this, this is the year or not. It does say in Haggai that those who are faithful will begin to bless, be blessed on the ninth and 24th day of the year. We haven't produced anything, it says so far, but from 924 they would be blessed. That comes, I think, January 4th this year is the ninth month, 24th day. So does God begin to do some miracles about that time? And people begin to recognize, and then... We're about to be destroyed, and they flee before the northern, northern army to come and be gathered to do God's work. Scary times. But don't fear what you see happening around you. Fear God. Jeremiah, let's, let's close this in Jeremiah 31. I mean, it scares, it sounds scary, and it is. And there's something to fear if you decide to fear. It is only natural to fear this. But those who have faith in God will fear Him instead. But here in Jeremiah 31, the verse just before, uh, says, In the latter days you shall consider it, and it goes into chapter 31. At the same time, says the Eternal, will I be the God of the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. That's His called out ones. Thus says the Eternal, the people which were left of the sword 
found grace pardoned in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. So, here again, he says, those who escape the sword will find grace where? In the wilderness. Same place Micah 4 told us to go. The Eternal has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. God loves His people, even though He's had His face turned from them. But it's going to turn back, and He's going to begin to bless them again. Again I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin of Israel. You shall again be adorned with your tabrets, and shall go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Maybe we ought to have a feast dance this year, who knows. You shall yet, even yet, plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria, that's Israel, the planters shall plant, and they shall eat as common things. There in Isaiah 55, 4 and 5, it talks about coming and eating without uh, milk and, and uh, wine without money. Money won't be worth a thing, but God will provide for His people. Verse 6, For there shall be a day that the watchman upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise, let us go up to Zion, to the Eternal our God. The mountains of Israel, or Ephraim, are in this nation. They're in the southwest, because that's where Zion is. For thus says the Eternal, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations, Publish you, praise you, and say, O Eternal, save your people, the remnant of Israel. It's speaking first here of spiritual Israel in the millennium of physical. Verse 12, They shall come and sing in the height of Zion, and shall flow together to the goodness of the Eternal, for wheat and wine and oil and the young of the flock and of the herd, and their souls shall be as a watered garden, and they shall not sorrow any more. Then shall a virgin rejoice in the dance. For I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice from their sorrow. Now see why God says don't fear this coalition of nations coming against us? Because if we fear Him and obey Him, He will take us to Zion. He will protect us in the original promised land, which is within a walk, a day's walk for a healthy person of right where I'm standing today. He will take them there, and He will protect them and preserve them and feed them and take care of them in every way and bless them as they have never been blessed before. This isn't talking about the millennium yet. This is talking about the time when the watchman will stand on Mount Ephraim and proclaim to the world the message of the two witnesses. Millennium's not here. Christ hasn't returned yet when this happens. So this is talking about just as this nation is destroyed and the beast and the false prophet arise to rule the earth until Christ returns and throws them into the lake of fire. So we have a lot out there that is beginning to happen and it's going to get worse and worse day by day and week by week. But don't fear it. Fear God. Serve Him. Be humble. Be meek. Love one another. And you will be protected and blessed by God.